Hello, hello, welcome everyone to this podcast episode. My first ever podcast episode. Shout out to myself. (laughs) Yeah, I just realised, well I've realised for a while I've wanted to record a podcast and I want to share my experiences whilst I'm in the medicine realms, whilst I'm in the shamanic realms, because the main reason I'm here in Peru right now is because I've been sitting with plant medicine. So I've been sitting with ayahuasca, I've been sitting with San Pedro, and I've been sitting with different shamans, medicine people, space holders and some pure shamans and some fake shamans and yeah I've had like a lot of different experiences since I've been here in Peru and I just felt like I wanted to share my experiences and share my own journeys and share what happens when I'm in the medicine realm and again this is coming from my own personal perspective it's coming from my own um, viewpoint and yeah this isn't a podcast to encourage people to go and do plant medicine um, I'm just sharing my, my own personal experiences and they may resonate they may not resonate at all um, but yeah so I wanted to share my most recent retreat center so it's my fourth ceremony um, I've sat with ayahuasca six times now and I wanted to no have I sat six times seven times and I wanted to share the first time sitting in the jungle so I'm currently living in the sacred valley in Peru which is where Machu Picchu is I mean I've been here six months and I haven't been to Machu Picchu yet but maybe one day that will be on the cards and I decided I wanted to go to the jungle. I wanted to go to the Amazon rainforest and experience ayahuasca in the rainforest, in the jungle. So yeah, I booked a flight and I flew out there on my own to the jungle, going into this retreat center, this amazing, amazing retreat center. I would 100% recommend to anyone and the owner, he's called Stace, he's like this British man full of tattoos, used to be like a raver back in the day, now he owns this retreat centre and facilitates ayahuasca ceremonies, and they have this amazing, amazing Shabibo shaman, although they don't really use the word shaman, it's, I think it's Kisiero or a word like that, and he was called Raul, and he was amazing, he was in his 60s, and he's like been drinking medicine since a teenager, you know, they start really young, and he was just so pure, and incredible, like literally amazing, and yeah, I'm gonna go straight into my ceremony, and share what came up for me, and I feel the messages that came through, they may resonate with some of you listening, And if you are listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here with me as I'm sharing my experiences. And yeah, I hope you can get something out of me sharing my experiences. So to start with, to start the ceremony, you all go into the Maloka. And it was me, (laughs) um, nine men who were sitting. And then there was the space holder, Brit, and the space holder, Drew, 
you were amazing. Um, but yeah, it was me and nine other men drinking the medicine. So, I mean, to begin with, I was actually quite anxious because my relationship with men over the years has been very toxic. But I even wrote in my journal, I was like, I feel there's a reason I'm the only girl drinking. I think it's here. I think I'm here to heal my masculine wounds and to feel safe with the masculine. And that's exactly what happened over the course of those eight days. It really was like this massive opening of where I could begin to feel safe around men and build my trust around men because yeah I'd never really felt safe around men um but yeah moving on into the ceremony you all gather in the maloko and you have a blanket you have a sick bucket next to you and this is like about 8 p.m at night and you then get given your cup of ayahuasca so when you're about to drink, you have no idea what is going to happen. You don't know what you're going to see, where you're going to go, what is going to come up, what to expect. It really is the unknown. And of course, for your ego, the ego likes the known. We like to know what's happening. We like our comfort zone. So yeah, drinking medicine, it's completely just throws you off into the uncomfort zone or the unknown, should I say. The unknown which is the uncomfort zone um and whatever comes up in ceremony it's always your stuff really it's whatever's within you and it's a reflection the medicine is a reflection of what's going on within you it's like a mirror and it amplifies what's going on within you as well that's how I feel anyway from my own personal experience um, but yeah, so we've got this drink of green jungle juice and <laughs> ayahuasca and then you drink it. Um, so you drink it and then you wait 20 minutes and after 20 minutes it's quite likely you're going to throw up. So I didn't actually throw up. <laughs> I didn't throw up but I did purge but it was more of emotional purging but I didn't actually throw up which was interesting. Um, but lots of people around me, they were throwing up and they were purging into their sick bucket. And yeah, after about the 20 minutes mark, the Shabibo shaman then plays his music. He sings, he sings these ecros and wow, they are amazing. Like this amazing music he sings and it's light. He's like channeling this music and it's bringing up your shadows it's bringing up your darkness within it's bringing up whatever needs healing and i'm going to play you uh ecros just one i found on youtube but this sounds exactly the same as if i was in the jungle right now in my ceremony so yeah i want you all to have a little listen so here goes <laughs> So yeah, that goes on all throughout the ceremony until about 1am when the ceremony ends. And this music, whilst you're on the medicine, this music is amazing. It's so magical. And 
wow and you're just there and you can hear all like the jungle noises you hear all the birds and the crickets and the insects and you're there on medicine and you're in the jungle like the amazon jungle drinking ayahuasca like wow incredible um but yeah i wrote some notes i always journal after my ceremonies of what comes up and i want to share with you what came up um so I'll be honest with you to start with I didn't feel anything for about three to four hours and I couldn't purge and I felt really tired and like I was gonna fall asleep and I was annoyed I was like I've come all this way to the jungle I've paid all this money I'm here because I want to do the work I want to sit with medicine I want to go inwards and nothing was happening so I was getting frustrated my mind my ego was getting frustrated but I finally got to this place where I was like, okay, that's okay. Maybe nothing's meant to happen tonight and maybe I'm just meant to rest and that's okay. And it was like, as soon as I accepted my reality for how it was, all of a sudden I was deep in the medicine realms and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck. I can feel the medicine. I'm deep in the medicine. And I was really deep in the medicine realm and my eyes were closed and I was seeing a lot of visuals and my first visual was my boyfriend Luke he was there he came up as one of my first memories and so if anyone's listening who doesn't actually know who I am um I lost my boyfriend Luke he passed away two years ago now um he had a cardiac arrest whilst we were in bed sleeping together really unexpectedly and out of the blue and he passed away he passed away um but if it wasn't for him passing away then I wouldn't be here now in Peru healing and on this inner inner journey and growing so I really he's my angel he's my angel and my soulmate and my teacher um but yeah, he was there. Um, he came up like as soon as I drank the me- well, as soon as the medicine hit me, and I realized how much I blocked out him after he passed away. I blocked out our memories. I blocked out the way I felt towards him. My heart's been so closed, and I wouldn't allow myself to feel the love that I had for him because I didn't want to go there. It was like too painful to go back into the memories and to go back into the feelings. So the medicine, ayahuasca, she was opening up my heart and I could feel the love I had for Luke. I could feel the love and I could feel our memories and see our memories. It was like I was back in my memories with him and he was there in the memory with me. It was like I'd shifted time and I was back in my past and I was in Melbourne and I was on the beach and I was with Luke and he was there and it was so real. It felt so, so real and I could just feel the love I had for him and how in love I was with, how in love I was with him. And then I was like feeling love. Wow, isn't love an amazing feeling? If you've had like the privilege of being in love, because I really feel it's like such a beautiful feeling. And I know not everyone gets to experience love, but wow, love is amazing. Like it's such an amazing feeling. And for me, it just makes me feel so excited and intoxicated and expansive. And I could feel my heart. It was like, have you ever watched Harry Potter? And you know the golden snitch on Harry Potter? 
You know that little golden snitch they chase with the broomsticks? <laughs> Anyone a Harry Potter fan out there? Um, that's how my heart felt like when it's in love. It felt like the golden snitch. My heart felt like the golden snitch or a fluttering little butterfly fluttering around with its wings. And I could feel love. Um, but then with that, it was like this anxiety came through, this fear came through and I was scared my heart was going to stop working because that's how Luke's passed away. His heart stopped working So I had this anxiety and this fear within me that I'd suppressed and that I had hidden and it was like this deep fear I'd been holding on to that I was scared my heart was going to stop beating. But the medicine was like, with Luke passing away through his heart, by his heart closing, it's like you always need to be living in your heart and keeping your heart open because there was a big lesson for you to keep your heart open. Um... And then moving on, all of a sudden, I could see my longboard. (laughs) So I have a longboard back in England. And it was like, I was so happy to see my longboard. I was like, so excited. I was like a little kid. My inner child came out and I was so excited. And I could see how my longboard is there for me to help me play and help me bring out my inner child and to have more fun. And I was like, wow. I think my soul, at a soul level, I chose to have a longboard in order for my inner child to play and have fun. And yeah, again, it was like I was there back in Melbourne, or skating along the beach on my longboard, as if I was actually in the memory. And I just had so much gratitude for my past and for these memories. And oh, gosh, I'm feeling emotional now just talking about it. But yeah, I had like a really beautiful time with Luke and my life in Melbourne I loved Melbourne like I freaking loved Melbourne that city is amazing and we had such a beautiful time just like skating like we would just go to the beach and we just skate along the beach every weekend on the longboard and smoke some weed and watch the sunset and I was like wow like so grateful so grateful to have experienced that and to experience love um yeah really really grateful and then moving on the ayahuasca the medicine was then showing me past lovers so past people I had had intimate relationships with or should I just say I've had sex with and it was bringing them up and I feel the medicine was clearing these people's energy out of my field, out of me. Because whenever we have sex with someone, it's a sacred energy exchange. So we are exchanging energy with the other person through having sex. And then sometimes we can take on their energy. <laughs> like, not all the time, but sometimes we can. Um, if there's an attachment to the person, then it's quite likely we've, like, taken on their energy. So the medicine was bringing up these people I'd slept with in my past, and, yeah, it just felt like this big clearing of, like, my sacral chakra, which is where we store our sexual energy. And it was bringing up this person who I'd had a fling with like four years ago and this was my first ever year in Australia and he was I called him Frenchy because he was French (laughs) and it was like I remember 
we couldn't speak the same language. I can't speak French. He can't speak English or he couldn't speak English. So we could never talk to each other. But we had a really strong physical attraction and connection. And I really liked him at the time. Like, I genuinely really liked him. Even though we couldn't speak, all I could say was like, bonjour, comment ça va? And that was literally our conversations. Um, But I did really like him. I was very attached to him, should I say. I had a deep attachment to him. And he then came up during the medicine. And I was like, Frenchie? I was like, Frenchie's coming up while I'm on ayahuasca? And Frenchie's here? And I remember I was then shown this memory that I'd forgotten about because whenever we go through painful memories... I don't know about you, but I always block them out. It's like a protective um, uh, blah, blah. It's like a protective mechanism in my mind that blocks out the memories. So I blocked out this memory of me being in a nightclub and Frenchie was there and he was with another girl and he was cheating on me with this other girl and I saw them and I was so upset at the time because I felt not good enough and I felt there was something wrong with me and why didn't he like me? What was wrong with me? And the medicine was showing me these insecurities I was carrying and how it's reflected back to me through him. And he also felt really insecure. It was like this reflection. And I was in like a low energy state at the time. And it was like this vibrational energy match and just how he was insecure as well. But he was reflecting back to me my own insecurities by getting with this other girl in front of me. Um, but yeah, it was like, I can let that go because I'd held on to it and I hadn't realized I'd held on to it. It was like a suppressed memory and it came up in order for me to release it and to let it go. And then I was just thinking, oh, this is what came up. I was being shown is attractiveness and how in society there is a program going on where it's like attractiveness And you know what I mean, it's the people that are stereotypically good-looking according to society. So in society, we have people that are good-looking because society makes them good-looking, because everyone makes them good-looking. We all think they're good-looking because they look a certain way, they have perfect bodies and they have these symmetrical faces and they just are so attractive and I could see how this played out in my school. So in my school, and I don't know anyone listening if it was like this in your school as well, I'd love to know what your school dynamics were. And maybe you were in this group, but there was a popular group at school and I was never in the popular group at school. And the popular group, all these really good looking people, but then they all knew they were good looking. And then they'd often be mean to everyone else. And yeah, I don't know if it was similar dynamics in like every school or whether that was just my school, but I was definitely not in the popular group. And I'd always feel very anxious around them. So I'd always get social anxiety when I was around the popular group at school. My popular group at school were called the Posse. Like they even had their own name, the Posse. (laughs) The Posse, what does that even mean? I'm going to just Google that now. Does anyone know what the posse means? The posse. I think it is it just like a brand? I don't know, but they were called the posse. Fuck. 
God, that sounds just like such like just school, the shit you go through at school. Um, but yeah, they're all really good looking. And they all, I think they all knew they were good looking. They knew they were cool. They knew they were in the cool group. But they were just mean to everyone else. They actually, I don't know. That's not my definition of cool, you know. I don't feel people who are mean are cool. But hey, um, I'd always feel social anxiety around them because I couldn't be myself. And I felt like I had to shrink to fit in and I felt I couldn't be myself and I felt I had to dim my light and I just felt weird like I felt like the weirdo and yeah I could see how that played out so much at school and then it played out in college and then it played out at university and the message coming through was like you don't have to play it small you don't have to dim your light to fit in you don't have to shrink like you are so worthy you shine that light of yours like why are you allowing these people to dim your lights and it was like this thought came into my mind of well what would they think and it's like what do other people think what do people think and that's always been in my mind it's like well what do you think people think about me so if I was to post something on Instagram before, I used to get anxiety because it'd be like, oh, what are people going to think? And then it was like, but who are these people? <laughs> and and the medicine was like, do you actually think these people are thinking about you? Because the medicine was like, no, maybe they're thinking about you for like one minute, but then they're going back to their own problems in their head and their own lives. They're not really actually thinking about you. It's that state of paranoia. So I used to get paranoid a lot that people were thinking about me because in my mind my mind is telling me what do people think about me and the medicine was like well no one's really thinking about you it's just you thinking that in your mind um so yeah I'm becoming a lot more aware of when I'm thinking what do people think and then it's kind of like coming back into my center and being like well actually people probably aren't really thinking about me I mean, that's kind of an ego thing, you know? What's my ego thinking that everyone's thinking about me? It's an ego trip. And yeah, and maybe people are for like a minute, but then they're going back to their own lives. So then moving on, we, well, the medicine was then showing me my people-pleasing tendencies. So I gotta ask you, (laughs) I gotta ask whoever's listening, are you a people-pleaser? Or have you been a people pleaser? Um, Because for myself, I'd been a massive people pleaser over the years. I really had. I'd always been a people pleaser because I wanted everyone to like me. And I wanted everyone else to like me. So I would be a people pleaser. And I could see how, say, for example, a friend invited me to London and I didn't want to go. I would go just because I'd feel bad and I wouldn't want to upset my friend, even though that wasn't in my truth, and that wasn't what I wanted to do, so I could see how I'd moulded my energy over the years to fit in with everyone else, and how I'd just been like this massive people pleaser, and it's because, yeah, it's because I wanted everyone else to like me, so that was okay, you know, and no judgment to myself, because that was where I was at, and that's okay, that was that old version of myself, but now I've realised I'm stepping a lot more into my own authenticity, and my own frame, and myself, so if someone wants to do something, 
and I don't want to do it. I'm normally just honest now. Well, I am honest. I just say, oh, I don't want to do it. Sorry, I'm not feeling like it. And that's okay. And then I don't have to feel bad. Because when I first started doing that and saying no to people, then I felt guilty and I felt bad. But over time, the guilt's gone. And now I generally just say like, no, I'm not feeling that. And that's okay. And people in my life, if they can't accept me and they can't, like say someone was offended, then I know they're not meant to be my friend because my friends understand, my friends get it, my friends are there for me, my friends understand. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Come see us when you feel like you want to. But if I've got a friend that's like offended, that's their own stuff, you know, they're triggered and that's nothing to do with me, just by me speaking my truth, if that makes sense. But I promise you, any people pleasers out there in the world, if you are conscious that you're a people pleaser and you don't want to be a people pleaser anymore, I promise you, you will get out of the people pleasing trap. Um, Just start by speaking your truth and instead of making up excuses, because I know before I used to make up excuses, I'd say like, oh, I can't come and then I'd make up an excuse but it requires honesty and just being like, look, I'm really not feeling like meeting up. And most of the time, your friends understand. They're like, oh, okay. And they actually value that you're being honest with them instead of making up an excuse. So yeah, it's like moving into this place where you start to speak your truth more and express your needs. And slowly over time, that starts to move you out of that people-pleasing energy because you're standing more in your own frame and you're more authentic to who you actually are. So I'm just conscious of the time because it's 26 minutes, it was around the 26 minute mark and yeah I didn't want this podcast to go on forever but I'm just going to move on to one last thing, maybe a couple more things that came up and yeah who out there, who played The Sims growing up? you know, The Sims. Oh my gosh, I loved The Sims. My favourite one was Sims 2 Pets. And oh my god, I was like addicted to The Sims. I used to come home from school, I'd like run home from school and I'd spend all evening playing Sims. And I had so much fun. (laughs) I had so much fun as a teenager playing Sims. But yeah, so I'm just sat there, you know, I'm on medicine, I'm in the jungle, in my visions with what's being shown to me. And all of a sudden, The Sims is being shown to me. And I'm just like, really? Really? I'm tripping and I'm tripping out about The Sims? Is this real? (laughs) And the message coming through was, okay, or actually, I need to ask you something else. If you did play The Sims, were you aware of the cheat codes? You know, the little cheat codes and you can like do some commands on your keyboard and then you can get all the money in the world. I don't know. I mean... If you didn't know about the cheat codes, then, oh my gosh, what were you doing? What were you doing on The Sims if you didn't know the cheat codes? Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, I always played for the cheat codes, and then I'd always have so much money, and then I would build the nicest houses and have, like, the best houses. And yeah, the medicine was showing me how that's kind of similar to life. You can apply the cheat code and you can reprogram your mind, especially when it comes to money, because I feel so much of the world is in the scarcity mindset and that scarcity programming. So it's like we actually have anxiety around spending money because we don't want to spend money because we're scared we're not going to have that money back or we're like, 
It's like this fear we have around money, keeping us trapped in this scarcity mindset. And then we just feel trapped, um, feeling like we never have enough money, basically. And the message coming through is reprogramming that mind of yours, reprogramming that little mind, or that big mind, should I say, to say that money is flowing to me. Money comes to me easily and effortlessly. I'm always attracting money into my life. And reprogramming the stories we have in our mind so we actually are attracting money and we're moving into an abundance mindset. So yeah, I just thought that was really interesting and I just loved how like The Sims came up to kind of, um, you know, kind of reflect the programming going on, how even back then as a teenager I was using the cheat codes and I can do that now, I can use the cheat codes in terms of reprogramming my mind to allow money to flow into my life. And then the final thing that I briefly want to touch upon that came up was judgment. And I shared that recently on my Instagram, just how, oh fuck, 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 fuck. (laughs) My mind is always judging and I'm always judging myself. And I realised my family, well my family are very judgmental and they were always judging me. So like the fact I'm in Peru, in Peru, yeah, the fact I'm in Peru right now and not England, there was like a lot of judgment coming from some people in my family, not everyone in my family, but like, yeah, definitely some people in my family that I'm in Peru and I'm not in England and I'm not working a normal job and I'm, and you know, it's kind of like this judgment coming from people in my family who I feel they're just projecting their own judgments onto me. And then I could see my village back in England. Oh my gosh, my village back in England. It's really small and everyone knows everyone. So everyone talks about everyone. It's like that type of village where everyone just talks about everyone. It's a gossiping village. And there's so much gossip and everyone's judging everyone. So I come from a very like toxic environment where there's so much judgment and then my mind is judging myself. And yeah, I could just see how I've been judging different people in my life and really it's just because I'm judging myself I'm becoming aware of the judgment I'm carrying for myself and the word weird you know when you call someone weird that's not nice that's not a very nice word it's like a judging word it depends if you're just saying you're weird and you like know you're weird and you like accept yourself for being weird that's not a judgment but if you're like calling someone or something weird whenever anyone says oh that's weird it's because they don't understand and they're judging you and you can feel that you feel the judgment and normally it's because they don't understand it's because they're scared deep down they've got some fear there because they don't understand so then they project outwards and they say weird and that is a judging word that's such a judgy word the word weird um the medicine was showing me that because people before have called me weird in a horrible way, not in a nice way, it's like, oh, that's that's so weird. And it's because they don't understand and because they're very much in their own programming and they have a lot of fear. And the medicine was being like, look, don't, if anyone calls you weird, if anyone's judging you, just don't even allow that into your energy field. Don't even allow that in because, you know, that's their own shit, it's their own problems, it's their own unprocessed stuff and they're just projecting outwards and it's nothing to do with you. Um, so yeah, that's going to be the last 
message I share today and just want to say thank you if you've listened to the end thank you so much for being here wherever you currently are in the world and for taking the time to listen to this kind of review of one of my ceremonies um yeah I'm definitely going to start sharing more because I get so many messages and insights through when I'm on medicine and I feel they really benefit other people as well they don't just benefit me but they're benefiting other people and I would love to know what you thought about this podcast if you know me then send me a message because I'd love to hear what you thought and if you don't know me my Instagram is Becky's Blessings and just yeah thank you for being here I'm sending you all so much magic and abundance and opportunities and playfulness and joy and I'll speak to you all very very soon bye